What I do is inconsequential. Why I do what I do is I get to shorten people's journeys every day. What I love about our hospitality industry is that it's our mission to make people feel cared for while on their journeys. Together, we'll explore what hospitality means in the built environment, in business, and in our daily lives. I'm Dan Ryan, and this is Defining Hospitality. Today's guest is the author of a couple of pretty awesome books, Outrageous Empowerment and Scaling Culture. He builds brands that disrupt and challenge their industries. He's an entrepreneur and leader with a passion for change. He's a fellow podcaster with the Scaling Culture podcast. He's the founder and chief community officer at Vita Living. Ladies and gentlemen, Ron, love it. How are you, bud? Well, thank you, Dan Ryan. And I thought I'd start with my radio voice. I love it. Now, is that really your voice or is it that amazing microphone you have? I think I have it's my amazing microphone. My, my actual voice is like this, but I hit a switch and I'm back to this. Ama- it, it's a uh, it's a technology, Canadian technology, actually. What's that all about? <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly. my God. I'm sorry. Hey? <laughs> you teed me up there. Um, so I just to connect the dots on how Ron and I came to know each other. I think we first met. Was it 2015? 2016, somewhere in there. Many moons so- ago. Uh, because I'm dyslexic, that's going to be hard for me to go back in time. And I'm very unorganized with my calendar, but I think I'm going to go with that. Yes. I think 20, yeah. I, no, no. You know what? I got you because I sold my company in 2017. And then that's when I showed up to uh, EMP was when I sold the company. So it had to be 2017. It was, it was 2017. And we gave up three yes. Memorial Day weekends, 2017, 18, 19, to go to the illustrious university called Massachusetts Institute of Technology, where we did the entrepreneurial master's program. Um, So it was you, me, and 65 other people in a conference room. um, 29 different countries. Is that right? Something like that? Something crazy. It was insane. But it kind of, that really, I think that was like a pivotal moment in my life in many different ways, because just getting all those people with just different perspectives in one room, thinking about what's the future? How do we change the future? How do we impact the future? And in many ways, I think it, aside from you and me actually speaking in here, and in so many different ways, it allowed me to, it kind of filled me up with courage um, to try other new things, which like a podcast, like who would have freaking thought about this? Um, Aside from what we do on the day-to-day side. Another thing, the company that you sold, which I think is really interesting, it was it provided security to all types of venues throughout Canada, correct? From Halifax to Vancouver. And, and outside, the executive protection special events went from Cairns to Bahamas to Columbia. Yeah. Wow. So, and you'd think, oh, wow, well, what's that about hospitality? But really like security making other people feel safe. And if you look at how you've evolved and the books that you've written about impacting others, building community, and now with your multifamily development um, company called Vita Living. Yeah, Vita, just, actually, we just go by Vita now. We're, oh, just we, Vita. We, we want to be Google. Okay. Oh, good. So just Vita. But it's really, you know, going from security to in, a, in another way, uh, many of the people on this podcast come from the, you know, luxury hotels, like, how do we make people feel inspired and comfortable and hospitable? But you're actually helping people at the start of their path to give them a clean, well-lighted place where they can feel safe and feel that warmth of hearth and kind of 
take their next steps into what they're doing and what their what their plans are if they're realizing their plans in life. So why don't you tell us a little bit yeah. about that journey? Yeah, and just first, I want to go back just to EMP for a sec because I I wrote down. It's funny everyone had a different uh, aha moment or experience there. I had just sold my business, and my you know I I didn't have the aha moment of I can do anything. I I kind of I've been very lucky to always feel that way. I actually came out of that with focus. Like I need to focus finally versus I need to gonna do anything. I had actually the opposite experience of you, even though we were in the same thing. But my aha was, man, I need to next chapter, I need to focus. And 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 I think this is helpful, but you know, I think it was Vern Harnish or, or someone who said this comment, which was my aha, aha moment, uh, which you know, I don't know if you knew, Dan. I was actually back this year doing a two-hour session for our peers for for year one for Steve Kearley's class. So it was a huge honor. And I shared this because I ended with some of the key things that I I learned. And the thing that uh, my aha moment, the comment was, if you wanted to build a unicorn, if you wanted to build a company that just crushed it, you take an industry and you slice off 10% where you think you're going to win, where you know you're going to win. And then you own 70% of that 10% slice. And that was my, oh man, I didn't do that. You know, to your comment, on security, we would do security for post-secondary education facilities, uh, hospitals. I'm on tour with Jay-Z. We're doing Starbucks. Their window broke. Like these, had, there was no focus. I never found the 10%. Uh, and so that was a that was an aha moment for me. I was like, I need, and so that's, I found the 10% now and actually focused within that 10% in my real estate company. So it's been, that was well, hugely impactful. That, that 7%. Really is is really a powerful and scary um, focus because yeah. you're 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 hooking your your wagon so to speak to a very small and defined psychographic or demographic at the expense of not doing business with ninety three percent of the rest of the market out there. That's right, and and I think that's actually a great thread to think about when you think about the what you've done from security to now Vita, only Vita. Um, and that idea of hospitality that's gone throughout it. Like, how do you, how do you give and provide hospitality and comfort and say, yeah. and well, however you define it yeah. to that 7%. So like, what does it mean to you? And then how do you focus it on that super tight psychographic? Yeah, look, um, so with security guards too. So, so, so let me, go back to my aha moment on hospitality mm-hmm. because I am, um, you know, when I had the security business, I was doing everything averagely. You know, I was, I was winning a little bit on all categories. And then I read Francis Frey's book, uh, Uncommon Service. Have you read that, Dan? I have not read that. It's fantastic. Uh, so, so, you know, you probably, and then I heard Francis speak by the way, in Halifax at a YPO event, <laughs> excuse me. And, the thesis behind the book is quite simple. It's a lot of companies don't have the courage. This is similar to the 70-10 rule or what we just talked about. A lot of companies uh, are in the category that I was in. They're just, they win, they try to win in all categories, you know, and they're average at everything. Not many companies have the courage to go deep and win in areas and be okay to lose in certain areas. So the examples were Walmart. They win on pricing. They win on always having stock on the shelves. They don't win on ambiance. They're not trying to win on ambiance. They're not mm. trying to be um, anthropology and they're not trying to compete with it. They're okay with that. 
they don't win on customer service. They know that. Um, they went on pricing and they have goods always available. They're not, you don't ever go to Walmart and they say, we're out of that thing. You know, where like you look at uh, what was Target entered Canada, never had anything on the shelves and they, they left, they were gone. And so, you know, Southwest Airlines, best service for the best price, not, you, you couldn't get a uh, VIP or, or first class seating. Like they just, they didn't pretend to win at all uh, on all things. And so I went through this journey of going to my customers and asking them what was critical. This is when I had the security business. Basically saying, what is important to you? Let me like let me stop telling my own story of what's important to you. Let me let me here's the the key things in our in, in our industry: guard the uniform the guard wears, the training they have, the customer service they provide you and your customers because you might be a shopping center who has a customer who has customers, uh, a local manager who's and a local office, a vehicle on the road, like all these things, Dan. And right away, the story was crystal clear. The story was customer service was the key component that they cared about for them and for their customers. And the thing I was working towards, local office, vehicle on the road, that was not important. That actually, if, if, you know, if, if, for those um, who end up reading my book, Outrageous Empowerment, I tell this story. And through that process, I actually removed all our, of our offices. I got managers back into the field, got rid of the vehicles on the road and started using technology. So I really doubled down. And then when I, you know, with my aha moment being, okay, customer service is important. Then what I did is I basically said, okay, so if today uh, I believe that a mom and pop are competitors in the local market out of a, a scale of one to five, the mom and pop were, were two and a half, the big multinationals were two, and I thought I was a three and a half. So <laughs> the point is, I wasn't really winning. I was just, I, you know, I was just ahead a little bit. So then we asked the question, who is in a similar sector? And when I say similar sector, not in security. Let's look outside the business. Who, who has frontline, low-wage, customer-facing employees? And who wins at customer service? And it was Starbucks. So, so I became laser-focused and obsessive with saying, our competitors aren't actually in our industry. They're outside. Starbucks is the competition. We have to beat them. So I would go to Starbucks. I meet with their management. How did you get hired? How do you get trained? Tell me about the customer service training. I studied Starbucks. And then, uh, you know, there's a bit of a long story, but I think it, it should add value to your listeners. So then two things. One, uh, when we onboarded people, I you, you watch a video of me saying, this is our competition, Starbucks. This is who we need to beat from a customer service standpoint. So I would talk about that from an onboarding perspective, but then a step before, which is critically important, and I think how we won the customer service game is, I believe, and, and some don't agree with this, by the way. I think John DeJulius may not agree with me on this. Um, I think that for great customer service, if you break that down and you think what attribute drives excellent customer service, it's, a, it's the ability to um, care for those uh, you know, around you, to put yourself in someone else's shoes. So the attribute is empathy. And so I don't believe, this is where I probably defer with John, I don't think you can train empathy. I think it's really in you or not. And so what we started to do, Dan, is we started to create a screening process that the number one thing we would screen for was empathy. And if you weren't empathetic, boom, you were knocked out because we just thought we can't train you. And we had made the mistake 
previously to hire people and then force empathy and customer service on them. And it wasn't their key attribute. It's like trying to train someone to be curious. I just don't think you can do it. You're curious or you're not. And so, so yeah. Ron, Ron, if you were to, I, I love that because in, in our hospitality world, um, one of my heroes is this guy, Danny Meyer. And he, he, he wrote this book, uh, book called setting the table. He's a restaurateur, but he said that he would hire and create a filter for this. Uh, he called it the hospitality quotient. And I think if you look at that hospitality quotient or HQ, yeah, I think so much of that has to do with empathy. So if you think to. about, if you think about your screening process for how you screen for empathy, how, like what are the top three things or questions? Yeah. Like how, how, what yeah. are the best questions to ask to help screen that out? Yeah. So, so in my podcast, actually, we had a guest called Ashley Goodall. Excellent guy. This he's written books with Marcus Buckingham. Ashley, if you're listening, I love you, brother. Um, provides a lot of value. And I wrote about their process and when we added our own kind of color to it. So, so, so look, this is not easy by the way, but the way that you screen for an attribute is not through a hypothetical question. Hey, Dan, what would you do if you saw an old lady crossing the road and they dropped your groceries? You need to go back to someone's history and and you need to get to the personal the the individual the authentic self so there's a couple ways you can do that one is through the interview questions of asking historically tell me a time um when you're in a situation a tough situation with a customer and what you did about that so i'm not leading the witness and and i'm just seeing your decision making and then i'm saying tell me another time and tell me another time and tell me another time and then um so from there i should have a, a a a decent assessment of how you've dealt with things in the past. Then I might give you some hypotheticals. I might say, what would you do? You know, multiple choice. What do you do? One, two, or three, and why? Uh, and, and, and I would ask you hypothetical questions, but then I need to get, and by the way, I want to be clear. Um, I ask people personal questions. I don't trust that I can put a lot of stock in someone's past work experience because I don't know if they came from a command and control, passive aggressive culture. That's not fair. I ask them personally, their, their, their personal situation. So a good example of that would be, we did an interview yesterday with a young lady and you know, change is one of our core values, right? Can, relentless improvement. I don't ask them what change they drove at work because they might not have been allowed to drive change. Maybe there's no change that they didn't even have to adapt to change. I say, what was the biggest change you made during the pandemic in your life? And what was the change before that? And how did that go? Tell me the struggles you had to get through that. Like I really get to someone's personal history because that's the authentic self. So we dig for that. And then what we do is, we get into a situation where we want to see how they behave. And so, you know, Southwest Airlines does this magnificently. What they do, Dan, is they'll invite you uh, for the interview if, if you're coming for an interview. Everybody knows that you're coming for the interview. And so the person who greets you knows that you're there for the interview. And they talk to you, hi, sir, how's, how's it going? And they'll make you wait a little bit. And then they'll bring you to the wrong boardroom and bring you the wrong drink. And they'll mess with you. And everybody's involved in the process. Others will bring you to a restaurant. We, we do that. You know, I want to see how you interact with that server. I want to see sometimes, and I've done this, Dan, and, and this is a strategy. Uh, you know, if I take you out for coffee and then I forget my, um, I forget my wallet, don't have it. How do you deal with that? Oh, no problem. I've got it. Geez, no worries at all. Or, you know, look, I'll look after this, but, you know, can you transfer me right away? I mean, I just, you just, you gauge people's behavior in real life situations. Mm. So I go with, Tell me how you showed up in the past. Let me give you a couple of hypotheticals and then let's see how you actually interact. Those are the, that's kind of our, 
our um, uh, our strategy. And we talk about in the book, Scaling Culture, actually, we kind of break that down. Um, but that, that's our strategy for how do you find curiosity, change, empathy. And it's not perfect, but I can tell you it's better than what I used to do, which was hire you because you smiled and then hope for the best. Yeah. No, I think um, at that EMP program too, especially with Jeff Smart thinking about that scorecard of, hey, tell me about a time when dot, 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 and a specific. And then, but also, you know, this idea of empathy, it's not a binary thing. So there's really like this Venn diagram of blended ideas that in the center of it lives what empathy is or what hospitality is. Mm -hmm. And it's really like, how, how do you ask all of these questions so that you can triangulate what that real empathetic moment is or, or spirit within the person. And I agree, you can't teach empathy. You really have to, you really have to screen for it and find the right person. But, but hospitality, I know we talked about this, but isn't, you know, isn't hospitality just the feeling, the positive feeling that you leave me behind with the story that I get to tell now, that's really what we're talking about, right? It, yes. And it's also how you, well, from all the conversations that I've had, there's not a binary answer, really. It's, 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 it's very tightly gray, but it's really about how the service that you're providing, how you're making the other people feel. That's right. And then all, and also the impact that you could potentially have on them so that it's like planting a seed and then right. those people go away and do incredible things. Right. 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 Or they're inspired. They're inspired in some way, or they, or they take away. This has been coming up a lot recently where they have this kind of aspirational experience like, Oh, wow. I didn't think about whatever. And then they go away and they, they take whatever experience they had and apply it in their work, in their life and their family in their home. And yeah. um, I don't know, it's just, it has this multiplying halo effect, if you will. Yeah, um, absolutely. Hey, Ron, when you think about the screening of, of the employees for empathy, um, tell us about what you're doing with Vita Living, like who mm. that 7% is as far as your tenants. And do you also do screening for them, right? Because yeah. you, you want to attract and build a certain community that you're giving this great step in their it's life great, for great great question um we so we have two parts of this we have our internal core values that's for our team the people that we hire and you know that we we debated that should we be screening our tenants for our core values and and ultimately we decided no we're not going to push our tenants to be innovative and continuously change you know our customers i don't think that's i don't think it's reasonable but what we do do is we kind of screen for for um, I'm going to put income testing aside. We'd screen for four things. So our, our application is quite unique. The industry and workforce housing, which is what we uh, provide. And, and by the way, just for those listening, and Dan, I think you did a, a pretty good job of explaining the business, but Vita provides affordable, safe, clean places where people are proud to live and we help them get ahead in life. That would be our mission. We've got about 2,300 uh, units uh, across Canada today. We acquire existing buildings. We're not a developer, even though we have a small development project now. Uh, and we want to be a global brand. You know, we're looking at entering the U.S., as you know. We're looking at Nigeria right now in Abuja to build a few hundred units. Um, so we really want to build this to be a global brand because we believe that the sense of building community and belonging doesn't is not a Canadian thing. You know, this is a, a global thing. And so, and so is affordability. And so back to the question, 
Um, we have four pillars in our business. Our pillars are safety, security, cleanliness, community, and opportunity. And so our screening is around those pillars. You know, are those things important to you? If not, we're probably not the right place for you. You know, is security important? Is cleanliness important? Is is a sense of community and getting to know your neighbors. That's where we kind of, we do bring in compassion and empathy into some questions there uh, for sure. And then opportunity, are you looking to get in head? Do you want to participate in what we do in our community contests and doing work at the asset or work for the company? And because we want to lean into people that, you know, we're very aligned with that and, and it works well for the community. And so the screening is more about that, actually. We don't go as deep in empathy as we would for our frontliners, which are building ambassadors. That's our version of a, a superintendent or a resident manager. Um, those people are screened for empathy in the application process. Absolutely. Wow. And then I guess the, the people who you've screened to be a part of your team, then they're also looking at those four pillars as far as all the incoming prospective tenants, correct? Yeah, we, we, we actually, so, so the application itself is the same thing I use for security guards. I mean, we did a scoring, a data-driven scoring process. So if someone scores in Halifax, let's call it HRM, you would have to score an 85% for us to look at your application scoring-wise. And, and by the way, we review this every six months. We'll kind of say, wow, we have, you know, Dan Ryan is a bad customer. How did he get in here? Let's go back. Was this a human error? Or did it? Did, did we miss something? Because Dan and Ron were both bad customers, and they both answered these questions similarly. Let's maybe we need to adjust that. And so we make very strong data-driven decisions on this application. And and then for for the pillar of um, cleanliness, yeah. Like how do you how do you wind up measuring that through all of your through all of your twenty three hundred units? Yeah. So so um, two things. We're, we, we measure, um, and, 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 and I'll bring this back to an interview question because I love uh, the interview process. Mm -hmm. uh, for our customers, essentially, we do two things. In the application process, we'd say, hey, cleanliness is a key pillar of ours. We would love to see your current home. You'll be top of the application. Give us a tour so they can upload a video tour. Some don't do that, but they, they lose points for it. And so those who are proud of their place, they go to the front of the line for us. I mean, it's a big point giver. They want to share pictures or video of their current living situation. That's for customers. For our building ambassadors, I'd say, Dan, it's even more important because they're in charge of making sure the building's clean. So we, we look for the, the attribute we're screening for is a sense of pride with them in the application that the scoring metric, but for them, um, you know, and I talk about this a lot is when you're, um, when you're screening individuals, you want to try to build what I call a knockout question. So in Canada, the US, a knockout question in an online application, if you're in hospitality, you might have a simple knock, two simple knockout questions before anyone gets to the interview. Can you legally work in the United States? That's a knockout question. You're not getting to the interview if it's no. Can, are, are you 21 years of age? No, knockout, you're knocked out. What's missing? What, what those who do really, who deal with high volume of hiring as we do, is they miss a knockout question that has to do with the critical uh, part of their business and, and, and can be disruptive to their operations. So let me give you two examples. Southwest Airlines, in that same, uh, in, in that same process of can you legally work in the United States, you know, you have your green card, whatever it is, are you open to working overtime? That's a knockout question because planes are sometimes late and you might have to be forced to go in overtime. 
if you say no and you're and this is for uh, those who who manage the baggage, you're knocked out. Uh, Tim Hortons, which is like uh, Dunkin' Donuts, we we design an application process for them. And one of the questions in that, the knockout question, in with can you legally work in Canada? Do you have a vehicle because it's you know bus uh, where this location is, <clears throat> or do you have access to transportation? Knockout question. Third. Are you open to picking up a colleague's shift last minute because people call in sick in this business? And the answer is no, you're knocked out. So in our business, we couldn't figure out the cleanliness, that we couldn't figure out the knockout question. So what we do is it's a visual. If you're applying as a building ambassador, we either have to do it on Zoom and we want you to, we don't tell you, but we, we want a tour of your place or we show up to your place um, that you live. If it's close by, a manager will show up and we'll see. It's a, it's a visual knockout. If you live in a pigsty, you're knocked out. If you're pro we know within seconds if you like to take care of your home. So it's an it's a knockout visual that we figured out for our building ambassadors. It's it's a telltale sign. If you don't look after your home, you can't look after one of our buildings. You you can't uphold a pillar of cleanliness. Yeah. And you need all of your pillars. And there's only four. You can't yeah. have 20 pillars. You got to be selective about them. Very selective. Um, if you think about of the 2,300 units that you currently have, how many yeah tenants like the of the leaseholders have kind of have cycled through over the years since 2017 or 18 yeah it, that's um that's a great like question and, and i guess just just to um put some color into this one of the challenges that we have that most business owners don't mm -hmm. so you know most people in real estate are developers right or the value adders that move customers out and gut to the studs and raise rents that's not our game so the challenge for us, Dan, is, you know, we last July, our, our largest acquisition was a $90 million transaction. We bought a thousand units. So we bought a thousand customers that didn't fill out this application. Uh, right. And that is a challenge. So then what we are into is let's build some surveys that let's, let's try to find out who is not aligned with this because they're not going to take our application. Like whatever, I already live here, go away, you know? So let's do a customer service survey and let's try to find who's aligned with Vita's pillars and who's not. And let's go in and, and do site visits and go behind the doors, and, uh, you know, in our due diligence process and onboarding these buildings. We have to try to figure that out. It's, it's a lot of work and it's not easy. So if we go into your unit, Dan, and it's a disaster, it's not like we say, hey, you got to go today. It's, it's not like that. It's a process um, where we would talk about Vita, encourage you to clean it up because of, you know, pests uh, that could come to the building and affect your community. Mm -hmm. So we're very deliberate on how we educate people around the business, but it's a, it's a big challenge. Our, our, you know, so, so that data point, there's two different data points. There's the turnover upon acquisition, right? So if we buy a building, we know the data, they provide the data on the leases that would turn it. And sometimes that's been from 20 to 40%. Ours is, it would be a uh, sub 11% with our application. And, and by the way, um, most of that turnover is positive turnover. Someone, you know, bought their first home or something. And so that data breaks down. We're about a 3% delinquency in that. And so we're moving mountains as far as the success we're having when a customer comes in, what I call through our platform, our ecosystem. So I love the, the, uh, the term you just threw out there called positive turnover, because mm -hmm. throughout knowing you throughout these years, one thing that really strikes me about you and what drives you is, you know, really thinking about how can you through your books, your podcast, your speaking, how can you inspire others to think differently and implement change in their community within themselves. And if you think about the positive 
turnover or or maybe even the tenants that have come into Vita for the first time, are there any stories that you could share of like of of having a positive impact on a person or family? I'm sure there's so many, but is there one that kind of rises to the top that is in alignment with those, yeah. those values within you? Yeah, look, gr great timing. So we do community contests, right? And those contests are so we can put money back into the communities. And a lot of times what we're looking for is stories. So we literally just uh, finished a contest. So if you if you go to our Vita website, go to LinkedIn, Facebook, I think it's on our Instagram, you'll see we just wrapped up a contest. And the contest was, tell us how Vita helped you get ahead. Because it's hard to capture stories. So we gamify this. And then, hey, if we get, we're going to draw monthly. And if we get as many, um, we, we want to, do this together. And so what we'll say is if we hit um, our goal of, I don't know what this goal was, Dan, I can't remember, of 80 entries, 200 entries, then we'll draw for the grand prize of uh, $2,500, sorry, was the grand prize. And that's a big deal for someone whose rent is $850. I can tell you that makes a big impact in someone's life. So interesting enough, we just did our quarterly planning session to, uh, last week for two days. At the end of the session, we did the final draw. So I call a customer who happens to live in Churro, Nova Scotia. Uh, her name's Sammy. So Sam, if you're listening, um, and I called her and said, look, you know, we read your story about how Vita impacted your life, you know, and she was very clear of how Vita, the place that she lives impacted her life, helped her get ahead. She works as a building ambassador today. She there was a mass shooting in Churro. She was going through a rough time, found Vita, really felt a sense of belonging, got involved in some different projects, became a building ambassador, had some compensation, helped her get ahead, met some friends through this, build her confidence. I mean, this is huge. I mean, she was in tears. I mean, of course, I told her she won the 2,500. She couldn't even talk. If you look, the, the video's online. It's fantastic, you know? And so we'll pull these stories out through contests and we want to share these stories. And I think that's that's really important. The, the other thing, um, that the story I'll share very quickly, um, which some people agree, don't agree. Uh, some customers don't agree with this. I've always wanted um, our the feeling and your experience at Vita to be a little divisive. I know, and maybe I'm using the wrong word, by the way. There's probably a better word to explain this. What I mean, Dan, is I wanted to do things where people would say, this is for me or it's not. You know, we talk about company culture and your company culture should be attractive or or or, or um retractive what, what's the other side of that repulsive Re repulsive repulsive that yeah, sounds yeah. aggressive but sure right or or deter well, a deterrent a deterrent right. well it could be it yeah, repulsive could be like, sure rep because if you really think about that seven percent and you apply that to yeah. not just the target market but also the target team yeah you want you want to detract repulse is a little strong but you, you the, we're saying a lot the of people, it, yeah we're, we're on we're aligned so, so we'll, so get, look, we'll I, get out the thesaurus for the next right. talk. That's right. And I'm horrible <laughs> with words at dyslexia. Okay. At yeah. dyslexia, hashtag dyslexia. So anyway, I, I took my kids to a thing called the Discovery Center and um, picked up this book that was there at the end. It's called Joyful. For those who haven't read it and in the customer service business, I believe you should, because the book talks about mental health. And the impacts of things that we hear and that we see and that we feel and that it, it basically says, look, if you're if you have if you suffer from depression, or you're having a bad day and you hold a newborn baby and the baby smiles at you, you can't feel depressed in that moment. It's impossible. 
you see a rainbow, you have a moment of happiness. And I really thought this was interesting. And they had a lot of case studies. Um, I should get her on my podcast, actually. Anyway, so what we decided to do, if anyone who's listening to this has been in, in a uh, 70s, 80s, 90s built building, you'll know that the hallways are dark, gloomy. There's no windows. They're horrible. You know, and if you talk to someone who's lived there, they'll say, you know, Years ago, I lived in one of these buildings and we felt as human beings that the owner didn't care about us. So then we didn't care about our place. And that, that, that really hit home for me. So what we'll do, Dan, what we do now is we chose 12 bright colors and we paint all the doors, the exterior hall door, bright red, bright blue. I'm talking Lego. You know, my wife, who's an interior designer, we almost had a divorce. She was like, these are not design colors. You know, I let her pilot a building and because like it was not good. She's and I'm like, this is my vision. Stay <laughs> out of the way. Maybe we should break up over this. This is huge. Uh, so anyway, we go with these these 12 bright colors and then we name them like you do in a cottage. We had a community contest. Give us some some cool names. So the Red Robin, it's now labeled the Red Robin. It's, you know, unit 12. You still have a, a, a unit uh, number. This is divisive. Some customers that we acquired said, this is so stupid. I don't want my door paint. I want nothing to do with this. Great. Go live somewhere else. No problem. I can tell you that most of our customers, that the acquired customers and the new incoming customer, this is attractive to them. They're like, whoa, I've never seen this. The, That's the, awesome. Wait, right? so when someone moves in or their lease turns over after you acquire, yeah. you ask them if they would like to paint, pick from this palette and personalize your door. No, 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 we don't actually give the autonomy to pick the color mm. because it would just, we, we just kind of say, look here, you know, you're, it's number 12, it's a red Robin. So it's either painted, we're either painting uh -huh. these doors now, Dan, we, we decided not give the autonomy of it. It's just too messy for scale. And we just thought we would disrupt a customer and piss them off more, more times and keep them happy. But it's interesting because now people are like, oh, Dan, they're not talking about unit 12. Oh, you're on red Robin. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm on, I'm on blue ocean, the blue, uh, on, on the first floor. Like oh, they're fun. talking about this in colors and names. And I'll tell you, this is a sense of dignified, you know, dignified housing, sense of belonging, sense of community. So these strategies are divisive. Some people don't like this. We're doubling down. I love that. Um, wow. And then if you think about the, the dark eighties, nineties corridor, are you looking down that corridor and seeing a bunch of pops of color, different pops Absolutely. of color? Absolutely. Now, of course, we're lighting up, uh, you know, the, the, um, we have new lighting to do our best to try to pop, make, you know, make them as colorful mm. as possible, but absolutely. And so from a mental health perspective, you might not see all the colors and you walk down the bam, a red pops out. Yeah. That wham yellow pops out. You're just like, what is going on? You're getting energized as you go down this shitty hallway. It was shitty six months ago. And so, Look, I'm all good. I, 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 and I know it's divisive. I'm not going to make anyone happy. It reminds me of my restaurant years ago. I had this, the first bring your own bottle of wine, Italian restaurant called Milano's. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm exaggerating a little bit here, Dan, but essentially I go to the restaurant, a customer would come up and say, Ron, the chicken Parmesan is so good that if you take it off the menu, I'm not coming back two minutes later, Ron, look, I got to tell you chicken parm, like it's so bad. It's not like my grandmother's recipe. If it stays, I don't know if I'm coming back. What do you do? You need to make a decision, right? Yeah. You better figure out which one is your customer and double down. Totally. Um, hey, looking backwards. So from the, the security business that you built and sold and exited, um, yeah. 
if you were to look back at your day-to-day of that and the safety and security that you would provide for everyone and the team that you built across Canada and globally, um, what do you miss most about that day-to-day from the, from the old business? Like, I know you're always looking forward, but if you were to look back, what do you miss the most? Yeah, you know, this so funny, Dan, you, you, you know, we were talking with this. Uh, so Dan and I are now in a, the same uh, EO uh, international forum, and Dan has just joined this forum and missed a retreat, which I hosted. So you had, it looks like you just had dinner with Sonny Bellani, right? In Chicago? Yeah. Just in Chicago? yeah. So Sonny, uh, th- this is interesting. What I kind of miss is I- I'm really good, Dan. One of my, I'm going to call it zone of genius, uh, is last minute decision-making under pressure when the, when the stress is on and you need to move lightning fast. And so one of the themes of this, of, of this uh, retreat was nobody knew what was happening at any stage. They said, I'm not going to, you won't know from, from minute to minute what's going on. And so things were falling apart in the background and I had to, uh, what does Sonny call it? Uh, you know, kind of ad hoc it. He uses a better uh, verbiage for it. Like he, he, you know, I had to ad lib and ad hoc and, and change directions on the fly. And Sonny would say, man, so we would debrief it afterwards. And he's like, so, so, so you're telling me that the original plan didn't work out. And so we had no idea, but then you upgraded last minute. You, the, 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 the new plan was better. And so, the security business was like that. I could be on tour with Jay-Z and have to figure out something very last minute or be doing an AGM in Grand Bahama. Something would pop up and I would, I can move very quickly with how I take in information and make decisions that it will typically be an upgraded decision from where I was anyways. And so funny enough, I was telling you know the group, this is the first time I've kind of, uh, reminds me, I kind of miss this stuff, this crazy chaotic last minute. I kind of miss that. You know, I, I kind of miss the, oh my God, the driver drove to the wrong area. Now we've got Nicole Kidman in the car. We've got to get her over the fence to get to her movie. Uh, you know, the, the the rabbit hole. I've got to pick her up and take her over the fence. Like I have to ad hoc this thing. People are going crazy and cheering. Like I would just be confident enough to make decisions and move. And that's always been an ability I've had. And I haven't had to do that as much. And so it reminded me when the group was here that, man, I kind of miss that. Yeah, I wonder, there's got to be ways as you uh, look into the future where you can tie in that or kind of design in that chaos, if you will, or, or quick decision-making yeah. just in fun or or something. Um, <clears throat> you know, also, Dan, I just want to talk about a couple of things, if that's okay, because I, yeah. I, I also want to be clear uh, and and look, I'm, I'm, I'll play homage to to John DeJulis on this, and maybe I don't know if he's been on your podcast. Um, he has. Oh, and he's probably talked about this, but but there's two things that I think are are important. Won't bore everyone, but the customer service bill of rights, which I which I you know um, essentially learned from John, because the question is, okay, fine, you've hired someone with empathy, but how do you measure success? And so I love John's customer service bill of rights. You know, so the bill of rights says. You know, here's the things you can't, you know, that, that, that you, the 10 things that you can't do, but here's what you can do. So, you know, don't point show, don't tell someone they, what they can't do without telling them what they can do. So you can measure these things. And I, I love that thesis. I think most companies, if you're going to put your money where your mouth is, you have to build something like that, that you can measure and ask the customer, did we do these things? Here's the key pain points from the customer. And, and the second thing that I talk a lot about, um, and that was, you know, my first book, Outrageous Empowerment, the subtitle was Giving Employees Their Brains Back. And the subtitle wasn't that employees didn't have brains, but we built a process, which is a decision-making process. 
And that allowed people to think for themselves. We use this today at Vita. So quite simply, and that we train people this on onboarding. So what we tell people, Dan, and this is this is a hack. It's a absolute, the best strategy we have in play. <clears throat> so what we essentially do is say, look, Dan, if you need to make a decision, a customer-facing decision, and you've not been trained in this situation, you don't know what to do, we want you to simply ask yourself three questions before you make that decision. Is the decision that you've come to in the moment, is it the right thing for the customer? Is it the right thing for our business based on our purpose and values? And are you willing to be accountable for your decision? If it's yes, 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 don't ask anybody, move. You don't need a permission. And we'll. It, uh, the outcome of this is quite unique because you'll find that people made in 80% of the time, they'll make better decisions than the C-suite would make because they're closest to it. And it becomes a new standard. You get to stop and celebrate and say, Dan Ryan did this thing. And this is how we want you to deal with this type of situation. We create training and stories around it. In some cases, and you celebrate that. In some cases, it wasn't as good. And we would then use that to educate people and say, you know what? Upon reflection, you know, this situation happened with an employee and here's what's the outcome. We want to avoid this and let's walk. We'll use it as a case study to, to, to upscale everybody on what to avoid. And so the decision-making process at Vita has changed. At Vita, our decision-making process is, is what you're about to do the right thing for the, the community, not the customer. The reason why we pivoted that is because the community is the building. That's the language used for the building. Well, the customer might want to play rap music and have a party and do some drugs. That's not the right thing for the community. So it's right thing for the community, right thing for our purpose of revolutionizing affordable communities and be willing to own your decision. And through that, um, we use it as a pre-coaching tool. Hey, you're stuck. Go through the decision-making process. What do you think you should do? Or does that decision align with the decision-making process or post? Let's talk about it and debrief it. But we'll always have your back. Don't call for approval. Move. That decision-making process has always been our secret sauce. So in a way, the part that you miss from the past, you've scaled it through your team or, or distributed it through your team so that they can actually be on their feet. Because one of the, you know, just checking into a hotel or for a yeah. flight or or a rental car, the thing that drives me bananas is when it's like, oh, it's our policy to blah, blah, blah. Like that just makes my skin crawl. But if... And and I find that oftentimes those policies are misapplied to yeah. specific situations and to empower outrageously your mm. team um, to make those decisions and to support them. That's right. They have to know that they're safe. Yeah. That has mm -hmm. to be crystal clear on onboarding. You are safe. You run through that. You ask yourself three questions. It's yes, yes, yes. Move. Don't ask anything. Yeah. And, and we'll have your back. It's all good. You're not going to be in trouble. You have to create the sense of safety around that because people say, hey, that just sounds too crazy for me. But think of the confidence that that builds totally. in your frontliners. Think of the learning because, you know, the, the old one is someone gets in a jam. They can't make a decision for a customer. They call the mid-level manager who puts it on their to-do list who might have to get approval for something else. Customer's annoyed by now. I mean, it's a disaster. Yeah. And so is it right for the customer? Is it alignment with the values? And will you be accountable for it? I like that last We question. say purpose and values. Like, mm -hmm. so, so it's purpose. Values can be a little mucky sometimes because it might have to someone really, it's the concentration on purpose or mission in some mm -hmm. cases for, for your business, depending on what you have there. 
So, so right thing for the customer or community, whatever it is, right thing for our business based on purpose, mission, values, those types of things. And are you willing to be accountable for your decision? You need to drive accountability, right? Yeah, that really resonates with me. Um, because if people don't feel like they can or can't be accountable, it it basically neuters them from their decision-making process. And then they're in this like place of fear. And yeah. if, if they are accountable, whether the outcome is good or bad, but you're also got their back, if they've gone through this process, it should give them the strength to just live by that decision. Well, look, those, you know, there's, I think it was Jack Daly who says this, you know, like policies are rules. And if, and if, and rules are made for children. If you want your employees to act like a bunch of children, then make more policies for them. I totally subscribe to that. Uh, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. And yeah. so, you know, the idea is, the, the, the other thing is when you're small, you get dopamine by answering someone's question, you know, but, and, and I start my masterclass, I have a teaser video online and I, and I basically start off and I say, look, we're all experts. We're entrepreneurs or leaders because we were experts at something. But at some point, you become the bottleneck. And when you're the bottleneck, then you're questioning, oh my God, everyone's an idiot around me. Well, you've created the behavior to say, come and ask me for permission on these things. You, the, that small dopamine as you scale, now you don't have two people asking you, you have 12 and you stole their learning. You stole it from them because you have an ego that says, no, come ask me. And now you're in hot water because you, your door, your, your door's a revolving door and your phone rings 24 seven, it's your fault. Sorry for all those out there. They're like, holy no, shit, that is my fault. <laughs> yeah. Oops. Um, hey, how old were you when you started your security business? 20 or no? 21. 21. Cool. Um, so 43 now. I'm an old man. Yeah. Not as old as me. But as you, so you've been on this crazy journey since you were 21 and on a new yeah. path now. Um, with the platform Avita that you've built and the, I guess the, path for expansion which seems like pretty limitless and mm. what's ex as you look to the future as you look at like where where you're piloting mm. where you have your hand on the tiller where you're going what's exciting you the most about the future yeah there, there's there's something that we're doing now which is very exciting so in this world of supply chain um lack of skills and labor and different things we've uh we've we of course have these this role which is typically a repair and maintenance role and not too long ago, Dan, I was kind of losing sleep because we've acquired portfolios that would have a repair and maintenance person. And we're not really guiding them. And I'm like, oh my God, like I'm gonna have to tear this thing apart. We've got five or six of these folks now. I had a vision for why wouldn't we, from a decentralized standpoint, and by the way, I'm always thinking about centralization, decentralization. And I actually believe in decentralized with checks, balances, systems, processes, support, guidance but decentralized for all decisions, like a decision-making process is a decentralized strategy and process. And so I just had a, a strategy session two weeks ago with this group. And I said, look, I want to change your, your titles to home creator. You'll create the, the units where people are going to live in and skill builder. And this is what I'm excited about. So what we're doing now, <clears throat> excuse me, Dan, is we're now developing the courses to build skills for you know, immigrant families, younger folks that want to build skills, someone who wants to change a career, um, seniors that want to get back into the workforce, we will now train you how to paint. So we'll put on the course to our customers to learn how to do these skills in the business. So our resident would come, they'd sign up for a painting course, 
our skill builder in that area would train them on how to paint. They go to our our, our V2U, our, our, our online um, talent management system, learning uh, our LMS, learning management system, I should say, and take a component about our purpose and values and use how to treat the customer, customer service and onboarding at the softer things. And through that, they're then approved as a community contractor. And so mm-hmm. I am so excited about this. We had suppliers putting on kind of, um, you know, education days, but we are now systemizing this. And I am, it's huge. I think it's, wow. this is a way to create a stronger, be organized with our sense of belonging, helping people get ahead, you know, reducing our own costs. Cause we probably pay 65 cents on the dollar of what uh, a contractor, what we pay a contractor. So this is brand new, hot off the press, super excited, excited to build out and systemize this and pilot it. And so I'm re- really excited. You well, know? and that also ties right back to you and your your desire to impact those around you. And it's really like right. lifting where you stand, right? You're, That's it. you're lifting everyone up around from your community. Um, and, you know, it, it also, you know, it, it brings me to, to this point on anything you do in a company. I'll go back to um, making the beds in hospitality, right? And, and and I'm assuming that most have systemized this. And 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 I think that in some cases, you know, humans were so not so well, we are flawed, but our opinions vary. And I always go back to look, my wife's version of doing the bed is very different than mine, right? And 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 I'm not even close to to hitting her expectation. So I we have this thing called the platinum triangle. Anything that we think someone has made a mistake on we look ourselves in the mirror and we say, let's go through the platinum triangle. So there's three components to this. Let's say it's making the bed. Let's say it's cleaning a unit at Vita, right? Did we provide a simple checklist system or process? Do we have a system or process that's simple, not a big convoluted SOP checklist, check, check, check. Did we provide the tools that they need to succeed? And did we train them on the tools in the system? If it's not yes, 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 it's the company's fault. It's time to engage your staff to create that and make sure that you actually, that's how you scale. That's how you franchise this thing. That's how you systemize it. So everything we look in the mirror on that's platinum triangle, training systems and processes through a simple checklist and tools. If we haven't done that, we've not, we, we've failed individuals in the company. And, and, and so we're thinking yeah, about think, that as we do this training. I love that because if you think about um, the decision-making process and then also this checklist, it's almost this, you're, you're creating this positive feedback loop for continual change. And as you said, what is it? Radical continual improvement or something like that. Right. Yeah. Relentless improvement. Relentless. Continuous. And and actually we upgraded that to relentless. Relentless. I love that. Um, So going back, like the Ron I'm speaking to now, the 43 year old Ron, let's just pretend you magically appear in front of your 21 year old self, right? As you're starting your security company, mm-hmm. um, knowing what you know now, what advice do you have for yourself? Yeah, great question. Um, you know, I was talking about this in front of a group of high school uh, folks a couple of weeks ago, and I was trying to think of this same question. Like, what do I wish I knew from 20 years ago? And one of the things um, that I find that I, sorry, that, that I wish I knew. And that I see in young entrepreneurs now is there is this, there is this, um, and it's really an insecurity and imposter syndrome, which, which maybe is natural, but there's this tendency to be interesting versus interested. 
And those are very similar words with very different outcomes. And it took me a long time to shut up and become interested. And that is how you listen and how you absorb information. You jump, don't jump to conclusions. And so I think I wish I was a lot more interested back then trying to be interesting all the time. Um, and it doesn't mean you don't have great things to say, but typically young entrepreneurs, they go to talk to someone and, and, and you're there to learn, but you're just talking and you're trying to, you know, um, convince somebody that, that your decisions are all right. And so I, I, I fell in that category. Um, you know, the other thing that I, that I talk about, I probably didn't have, I was stuck here a few times. Um, but, but I see more people stuck here. And so I'll talk about this one, but, um, two, two, two other things. One, um, a non-decision. So when someone's stuck, should I go left or should I go right? I don't know. I'm overthinking it. What do I do? What do I do? And they get stuck deer in the headlights. A non-decision is a decision with its own consequences. And we don't think about it like that, but it's absolutely true. It had, when you are stuck, you have your own consequences to that non-decision. So grab a decision. The last one I'll say, which I love, is in life, you know, we talk ourselves out of things or people around us and you're already at no. If you want to go for something big, you want to ask someone on a date, you want to hire someone, you have a business idea, you're already at no. It doesn't get any worse. You know, when I want to call someone, my, my, my wife calls this nervy. I just say it's, you know, it's, it's grit um, and drive. I'm already at no. If I want to call you, Dan, and ask you to invest in my company, before I call you, I'm at a hard no. Anything else that happens is a step forward. Maybe you don't do it, but we build a relationship. Maybe you introduce me to someone. Maybe you advise me on something. Anything, I'm at ground zero. And so people, they, they get stuck there. And I, I, I don't even understand it anymore. You're already at no, move, you know? And so those are things that, um, that I continue to think about. I think uh, on that non-decision and already at no, um, it resonates with me because like there's a calorie burn to just being in that moment of inertia. I, I love 100%. that. And then, and then just really being um, interested in things like always to be curious. <clears throat> that, that's something that like we're in EO that's really helped me like going through all the coaching processes and really mm -hmm. in doing this, just listening, 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 and be curious and tell me more, tell me more. So I love it. Um, I know we we've covered a lot of ground you've given. I mean, I have, this crazy mind map of information here. Hey, like, I mean, this was just super impactful for me, Ron. And so I thank you. Um, if people wanted to learn more about you or Vita, like yeah. how can they, how can they do it or, or, your, yeah. and your podcast as well. We'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, sure. So scaling culture podcast, a lot of great guests. We try to dive deep into topics with experts that, that, you know, I have no business talking to, but I'm already at no. So I get to talk to them. Um, and I learn a lot from that. It is very selfish learning. What a great way to just have a build a relationship and have a deep uh, conversation and and get to you know you know really um, guide the conversation through curiosity. So so that's fantastic. Check out the podcast. Um, we have um, I think there's a, a website called RonLovett.ca and that has access to like podcasts and books and all that stuff. You can find the books Scaling Culture and Outrageous Empowerment on Amazon, and um, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm 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 fairly active on LinkedIn. Um, yeah. So 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 if anybody ever want to reach out, um, and look, I'm I'm accessible. I I know 
you know, I didn't get into my history here, but I won the lottery. I'm not supposed to be sitting here. And so I'm very thankful for that. And I'm always paying my dues every day. Yeah. And just if they reach out, they're starting at maybe, not at no, right? You go to hard yes if you reach out, just having the, <laughs> having the balls to do that, okay? <laughs> the cojones. Uh, well, hey, we'll put all that in the in the notes. And Ron, I know how busy you are. I know what a growth path you're on. And I just want to say thank you for, for your time and the learning and satisfying my curiosity here. So thank you. Thanks, Dan. Been a pleasure. Good to see you. Yeah. And also, I, I, I want to thank all of the listeners, because again, we keep growing every week. It, it's, it's getting boring saying that, like, but it's really just humbling and amazing. Um, so it's working. People are listening. Hospitality transcends everything. And if this changed the way you think about hospitality, please pass it along. And we'll catch you next time.